Welcome to another episode of Web3 Disruptors. I am thrilled to welcome our guest today, Alexandra Overgug. She's the founder and CEO of Thrilled Labs, which is a free and open access business solution that lets Web3 projects, professional investors, developers, and Web3 service providers scope out each other and talk funding, business, and all other synergies instantly. She also is an independent researcher. She's written for the Cointelegraph. She provides open access workshops, and she is a mentor to various educational Web3 initiatives. Her background's in law, political science, the hospitality sector, and trading. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Wow, that was an awesome opening. Thank you so much, Jeanette. And I'm actually just indeed, as you said, thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah, well, I'd love to to kind of kick off by finding out more about you and your journey into to Web3. Walk us through that. Yeah, of course. So I think that what is perhaps of interest to, to start with is whilst I start to get very interested in mostly crypto from 2017, I actually onboarded really the space as in a sense of working in the space, not that long ago, really two years ago, when I joined a blockchain infrastructure company, a startup, a lovely company that's doing extremely well. And yeah, it might be of interest to say here that it might have been a kind of like a particular and unexpected career choice, especially because I was like, as I tend to say, trained to join what I call these days very sinister the legacy institutions, right? So the current legal and political institutions really having studied indeed, as you readily mentioned, law and political science, got a couple of degrees. And I really wanted to either work in said institutions or in academia, really. So yeah, time evolved. And actually, I over time got more and more interested in Web3 and crypto and really realized that that is actually the place that I wanted to work in to actually make a change in some way. I wasn't 100% sure how or how where or why. In a sense, the why, yes, but in a sense, how I would do it exactly wasn't. So yeah, that kind of evolved over time. And uh, I would say that I don't think I could have imagined myself at a better place today than in Web3. Oh, it's so great to hear. So you've recently launched Thrilled Labs. Can you tell us a little bit more around the problem that your organization is looking to solve? Yes, absolutely. And thank you for the question. I think it's always, as a founder, this is like one of the dream questions, right? That you can can be posed. Yes, of course. So Trilled Labs really came out of a, really a problem or a challenge that I kind of came across when I was working in the industry. As I readily mentioned, I joined a great blockchain infrastructure company on the business side, which was really lovely and challenging just because you incorporate so many different aspects while working on the business side of things. I'm sure that you are also very much are aware of that well, well, as since you are working on the business side of things as well, and actually often probably look for business people too, to place at Web3 or blockchain companies. And what I really saw was that there are so many challenges and inefficiencies in how we're doing business with one another in Web3, right? It doesn't only concern issues with Web3 projects in terms of how they scope out potential partners or potential investors or even, I don't know, potential employees or contributors, 
But other key stakeholders, as I like to call them in the Web3 ecosystem, really yeah, face similar challenges in that regard, right? The same goes for investors. The same goes for developers that are perhaps looking for a new job. The same goes for, I don't know, legal experts that maybe look for a new gig. Investors too, right? They spend oftentimes, they jump on calls, they spend a number of minutes or hours scoping out projects or companies or pitch decks, and then it turns out there's like a mismatch. So I saw these problems and I thought maybe we can build something that actually provides a solution. I was lucky enough to be granted an opportunity to join an incubator. And I guess that kind of opened up my mind to creative thinking. And yeah, a couple of weeks uh, after joining this incubator, the idea for Thrilled Labs jumped in my mind. And after has how these processes are going after weeks and months of thorough research, product market fit, kind of uh, analysis, right? These things develop further and further and boom, there is where we are today with Thrilled Labs uh, launching in just a couple of weeks from now. So that is really, yeah, summarized kind of like how it went. Oh, con congratulations. Just a couple of weeks time. That must be exciting and have been quite the roller coaster. Yes, it is actually. Also here, I guess you can just provide an answer that takes like half of this podcast, really. But as I'm sure you also know, like <laughs> if you want to found a company, especially doing it initially mostly by yourself as a single founder, yeah, someone who doesn't like necessarily know how to code or really has a lot of experience in building tech products, let's put that very honestly. Yes, it has been exciting, but also very challenging. But yeah, I appreciate the challenge. So being a perfectionist, I actually really like then to deep dive yeah. into how it all works and figure it all out, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, so you bring up an interesting point when you sort of describe maybe not being a technical founder. What, what process did you go through then to bring your business from ideation through to where it is right now about to launch and particularly coming at that from the perspective of being someone who doesn't know how to code or doesn't have that technical background as you just described? Yeah, that is, that is a great question. And interestingly, a lot of people tend to think that it's very tricky to, let me put this right, it's not necessarily easy to launch a tech platform and indeed a tech startup if you don't have a background, right, as a developer or coder. But on the other hand, I do think that if you are in, like uh, encountering a problem, right, in the industry or in general as an entrepreneur, it can also be a different sector uh, where you see a problem that you can still envision a solution and even though I'm not coding it myself, I am involved with thinking how the algorithm should work. I'm involved with where every button on our platform stands, where it directs the user to, right? I'm kind of like functioning, however, as the product CEO, even though we work together with a wonderful German team in that regard. And what was the process really is actually... I guess to an extent, just logical thinking, right? So you envision the problem and you're just thinking, what is the solution really? And I do think that we have to be really honest here that it doesn't really work in our favor that as a CEO, I'm not a coder. I think especially more uh, traditional kind of investors and VCs don't necessarily appreciate that. It brings about a lot of additional risks, let's be honest. But if you open a restaurant, and I worked for many years, actually, in the restaurant and bar business alongside my studies, right? Because I'm not from like a rich background or anything. So I always had to work while studying. And I was even an entrepreneur in this sector. I'm not a chef, 
but I still managed to be an entrepreneur in the bar and restaurant sector and just hire the right people to then cook in the kitchen. And that is to an extent a bit the same here, I would say. Got it. So finding yourself in the position of being a founder, there's a lot of people that are accidental entrepreneurs. So, so they have this great idea. And then before they know it, they are, they've launched a company. And there's some people that have always had that entrepreneurial bug. And from being age five, they know that they're going to be the CEO of their own company. Where did you fall? Did you imagine that one day you'd be running your own company? Hmm. Yeah, it's funny how it's all different for everyone, right? I think to an extent, I think it depends perhaps a bit on your character. I was always kind of like a generalist and very curious about lots of different things. I guess that it was on the one hand, a bit of a handicap because I didn't grow like a more traditional career. I'm now 32 and I really only started really working in blockchain like two years ago, right? So that's like a crazy short amount of time. Before that, I was just studying, right? I was working in the hospitality sector alongside it. And you were asking, did you ever imagine? Well, yeah, to an extent, yes. Already when I was in my early 20s, I started as an entrepreneur in the Netherlands, working in like lots of bars and restaurants and events, like having my own little one woman business, so to say. But being an entrepreneur in tech, honestly, when I was studying law and political science, I could never have imagined it. To an extent, I became very curious to technology just because I did a second master in politics and digital technologies. And it was really there that I actually encountered the idea that technology as a concept in lots of different ways can really solve so many problems for society. And then I thought, won't it be awesome if we, if indeed there is like entrepreneurship, that path at least open and that it would happen that fast. (laughs) I could never have imagined really, but ultimately I would have loved to actually do it. And now that I am an entrepreneur, I actually, it's, it is overwhelming, right? It's true what they say. And I'm sure that that too, running like your own business too, right? But on the other end, you do so mm-hmm. many different yeah. things on a day-by-day basis, right? From law to interactions with, I don't know, legal documents that you're drafting, from talks with investors, from talks with your team, to hiring people, to thinking about your website, to thinking about the new code. Like, it's so interesting. So I'm really happy. But if I There's- 100% expect it, no. Please. <laughs> There's definitely never a dull moment, that's for sure. As mm. It looks like you're finding that out as well. It's one of the things around the Web3 space, you and I had talked a little bit about the academic chapter that you've recently authored, where you had quite a unique hypothesis around Web3. Would you mind sort of summarizing and sharing that with our listeners? Yes, of course. Thank you for your interest in that regard. I think that perhaps the fundamental, almost paradox, if we can call it like that, is that Web3, right? It's, of course, a very abstract term. And almost for everyone, it means something different depending on your perspective. Indeed, are you a technologist? Are you a legal scholar? Are you maybe an entrepreneur? Web3 can mean lots of different things. And I think another fundamental distinction when we think about what is Web3 is really, are you working in the sector are you, or are you kind of like observing it from outside of the sector? I think that is also very important to grasp someone's perspective. And 
maybe found something that is interesting to mention here is that I've observed in not in only in the literature, but also like on social media, there is this very dominant narrative about Web3 being the next step, right? After Web1 and Web2, of course, moving from this whole read, write, own kind of narrative and posing Web3 and the decentralization of ownership of data and data sovereignty and of increased agency of all humans, really, that are connecting with the internet. That's a very dominant narrative, but I very much actually like to look at the whole construct that Web3 really comprehends. So not only looking at dominant narratives in terms of the internet, not only looking at the tech stack, but really fundamentally comprehending that Web3 is ultimately made by humans, right? Whether they're individuals working for themselves or writing code or those working organizations that fundamentally build Web3. And this is, I think, where the very interesting paradox starts to come in is that Web3, of course, is all about as transparency, peer-to-peer connections, automa- automation to a great extent, inclusivity about everyone having access to it. And especially if we look at Web3 and how it grows and whatever is really going on in Web3, in that black box of Web3, we see that trust is so important that having the right connections is so important, especially if you want to build a business or get into a business that you love and that your network is so, so important. And that is, I think, a bit of a paradox. And I kind of try to describe that in a more sociological kind of chapter, right? A bit nerdy, (laughs) if you want to put it like that. And that is, for me, a little bit of a paradox, right? especially some of the potential problems that it poses, right? If you don't know the right people, it's sometimes tricky to get funding. If you look at certain choke points where regulators try to enter in a Web3 space and regulate it and make it less decentral, if we look at power of certain actors such as big VCs and how they de facto kind of sometimes act like gatekeepers, those are all like also little small points that make Web3 a a bit less decentralized and a bit less open and a bit less transparent. And yeah, that's kind of like ties in with the mission of Thrill to actually open up back again that level playing field of doing business and building together in Web3. I hope that wasn't too abstract. I have that tendency. (laughs) No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't at all, particularly because I could see the golden thread around how that may well have influenced your own business idea, that very concept. Thank you. I appreciate you so saying that. As a fi- yeah, of course. So as a female founder, what has the experience been like for you when you sort of consider that you're founding a business in an area that is still unfortunately very male dominated? So there's a great disparity between the number of female founders in the space. And with that brings its own set of unique challenges. I think that is a very interesting and profound, but sometimes also a bit of a tricky narrative. I think on the one hand side, (laughs) and this may not be a popular opinion, but the fact that there are few women is not by itself necessarily a problem. I guess that some of the results of having few women and having less representation is a bit of an issue. I still very much believe that Web3 is a very merit-based space. And I see that myself, right, when I'm interacting with especially people from the Web3 ecosystem, 
like guys and men in the Web3 ecosystem that are builders, that are developers, they are so respectful. And they actually, even though I cannot code, I never feel like being joked about or anything. Perhaps they do, who knows? But I would almost argue that sometimes when I feel that there's a bit of a tricky and challenge popping up, it's mostly from people who come from the traditional background. So the VCs, the financial people. Or it happens sometimes that people start to mansplain, if I like to, if you can say it like that, my own company at conferences, it it happens occasionally. And (laughs) yes, I really do think, I do want to highlight that that the fact that there are very few women is not ideal. Ideally, of course, we would see way more women involved, either in entrepreneurship or in other roles. And I do think, but perhaps you could say that better than I do, because you have a better perspective on hiring practices. But I do see more and more women joining the sphere but perhaps it will never be fully inclusive what is interesting is that my mother she was in the 80s one of the first females female brokers on the amsterdam stock exchange right there were 400 men there and there were like two or three women including my mother and even if you look today it's still very male dominated for some reason So perhaps we could still observe that in a couple of years in Web3. I'm not 100% sure. I think you could potentially have a better perspective on that than I do. Yeah, it's interesting. And it will be interesting to see how things continue to play out. You're correct in saying that there are women in the space. Like Clearly, it's not by any means representative. Actually, Web3 is beginning to mirror tech. But the difference being, where do those women sit? So, So sometimes we can pat ourselves on the back as an industry and say, well, we've got diversity, but really everything comes down to where where are the decisions made and who holds the power? So mm. when we're looking at diversity, it's important that we're looking not just at the overall numbers, which still don't look great, but also what does the C-suite look like within these organizations? And mm. you mentioned something in, in what you just said around VCs. So if we think about the funding process as well, if it is fundamentally not a diverse group of people that are making those decisions around who does and who doesn't get funded, then automatically female founders coming into this space are going to be at a severe disadvantage. And there's already a lot of data around that. So I think those are the things to, to sort of think about. And they have a very big impact on what this space is going to look like in, in the future. Absolutely. To an extent, we might indeed argue that they are a little bit of a gatekeeper in that regard. And may I add one thing? I think there is a Mm -hmm. tiny bit of delay on the line. This in terms of diversity, right? I think it also goes even, and I'm sure that probably again, more about this than I do, but doesn't it even go further than women and men, but indeed people from different age groups, people from different continents in the world, certain especially people from Europe and North America seem to be so, so dominant in this space. I mean, ideally, especially if we think about a global system that seeks to really yeah, create a bigger and more inclusive level playing field, ideally, we would really want to see a lot more people getting involved, not only as users, but especially mm-hmm. as the builders of the space. Yeah, absolutely. So 
there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that there will be people listening to your journey who are inspired and motivated and maybe encouraged to pursue their own ideas. It's, I think there's such an importance in having really positive role models, irrespective of gender. What would you say has been the most transformational moment within your career and how has it shaped where you are today? Oh, that is, oh, you only ask very nice and profound questions, actually. Thanks for asking that. I don't try to like flatter you, but it's true. You ask like a lot of lovely questions and that <laughs> makes me think it. I reflect. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. I think in that regard, like routing back a little bit to the previous question, I think especially we women uh, sometimes need to hear a little bit more from other people that we can actually do it. I was, I mean, I could never have expected that the, today I'm like raising capital, creating a platform, hopefully doing it with success, right? Time will tell, of course. But especially women, we tend to be maybe a bit more conservative, maybe a bit more cautious. Uh, this is, of course, very generalizing everything, right, that I'm putting now. But I think that also kind of like reflects on the previous question about why we see maybe less women, especially less women in entrepreneurship. We tend to be maybe slightly less full of ourselves or confident, if you want to put it like that. But what has been really important in my career, I would say, and indeed um, stepping out of my comfort zone, if we might say it in a very cliche kind of matter, is something slightly more serious. Yeah, I. the thing is that last year, my stepfather, he got really ill. His illness came back and he unfortunately passed away. During that like period, my mother got sick too. And it was a really like turbulent time. And he actually, one evening when he was still quite okay, he sat down with me and he really encouraged me by saying, I won't be here for much longer, but I think that you can do so much more than you even realize. He saw me also seeking a little bit, seeing that I was yeah, close to maybe a burnout due to all the stress of having two ill parents, right? And he really encouraged me to step outside my comfort zone. I think he also wasn't really aware about how that future would look like. But he said, you can do it. I trust you. I think that you can do amazing things. So just try to tap into that. So when the opportunity of joining a couple of months later, an accelerator came along, I actually applied having his words in mind. And I think that also sometimes shows that it were just a couple of words, right? From someone that I cared about. But that was actually what really set into motion. Yeah, this step that I took. And uh, yeah, it was especially... A very triggering and very difficult situation. It wasn't the first time. My parents got divorced when I was really young. And at 10 years earlier, I also already lost like my real dad on this for, due to the same disease that actually caused me to move to a different country. But that's a whole different story. And uh, yeah, I just thought there is so much hardship in the world, right? There is so much, there is so much challenges in our life that we can come across, especially if it can happen that we get young, ill, and I'm sorry for the negativity and passed away. I thought I want to become an entrepreneur and just see what I can build. I don't know how this life will look like, but let's just give it a try and try to build something good. So that's kind of what happened. Well, first, I'm very sorry about your loss, but very appreciative that you shared that story with me and with our listeners. 
interestingly, within that story, one of the things that it sounds like your dad was able to give you was that gift of confidence. And I do think there's something in that for the parents that are listening to this as well, because mm. as you were saying, it, it kind of really touched me because I, someone once told me that the greatest gift that I'll ever be able to give my children is confidence. And I've really taken that to heart. And when you look at the development of your children from like this high all the way, I'm sure to, to when they become adults, you can see that having a really strong sense of self and having confidence to be able to take on challenges and to sort of believe that you're good enough and that you can do it and really sort of cultivating that sense of self is so crucial. So to hear you talk about that being that real push for you to go on and create something that truly sounds phenomenal is really inspiring to hear. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's very, yeah, it's it's a big topic, isn't it? But yes, I think you're very much uh, yeah, on point absolutely. there. I don't have kids myself, so I really can't, I can't provide any further evidence yeah. than this case study that is myself. But yes, I think you're mm -hmm. very much on point there. It was a great support in yeah. retrospect. Yeah, well, it's a, case, it's a case study that definitely resonates. I want to pick up on something else that you talked about earlier, Alex. You referenced it briefly. You talked about the power of network. What has been your approach to building your network? And in what ways do you feel that has helped you in, in, in terms of where you are now with your business and career? Yeah, that's networks and Web3, indeed. Again, it's so important, not only in the tech stack, but also in actually moving forward in terms of your business. Yeah, it was a bit tricky initially to onboard the atmosphere, to onboard the space, just because I live here in, in Florence, Italy. Uh, for who has never been here, I basically live in the hills. Florence is a very cultural city, lots of fashion, right? Very Italian. And I didn't know anyone, like literally anyone around me who was into Web3 or was even working in the space. So from the very moment that I set my mind onto joining the space, I knew that I had to do it online. So I joined like lots of communities. I applied for a wonderful program from the Frankfurt School Blockchain Center. It's called DLT Talents. It's especially a program aimed at onboarding, interestingly enough, more women in this space. And that was like two oh, years wow. ago. And I remembered that I was accepted and I was doing a bar shift that night. And I saw the email on my phone and I was just jumping up and down because I really thought this was going to be my chance to actually onboard the atmosphere. And they really taught me. And of course, I took that along during the journey to put yourself out there and to kind of like publish articles, to write even on LinkedIn that you're open for jobs, to spread and develop your voice. And that is scary. Um, especially if you are slightly more introvert and you have to push yourself in that regard. But slowly I started to build a network. And it was not until last year that I ever met like a lot of like Web3 people. I actually had to travel to a different country, right? To see people at conferences because again, here in Italy, nothing is happening. Sorry for all the Italians that work in Web3, but at least here in Tuscany, nothing is happening <laughs> in that regard. And the <laughs> last thing maybe that, that I will say about this is that 
again, I just would really like to reiterate that the Web3 space is filled with amazing people. So even sometimes if you want to reach out to someone and you want to ask for some advice or maybe learn from them, right, you can just drop them a message. And if you are kind and polite, I've realized that really often they're willing to help you, actually. And that is like one of the merits that I appreciate most in this space. And it really helps, yeah, for anyone who tries to onboard the space, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, introvert here, I'll see you at the next conference. <laughs> and on your other point around around people helping, being willing to help, I, I couldn't agree more. In this space in particular, I really do feel that the intentionality is for it to be more inclusive. And it does feel that way. I've been so surprised in the almost two years that I've been in this space. I've met some wonderful people who are very generous with their time. So I think that's spot on advice that if you ask people nicely enough, then you'll be surprised at who is willing to help. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. And if you don't mind me adding one point, what is also quite important is to look, of course, at the hiring strategies of companies. And even if the hiring perspectives that companies have, I mean, I was lucky enough to be approached by the company that I joined. The the guys in the C-suite, they were just dropping me a message, seeing that I was open to work in a space and they thought that my background would fit a certain role that they had open. But especially if you have these types of uh, potential future bosses out there, right, who actually are willing to give someone a choice who hasn't worked yet in the space and who perhaps has studied like a lot of books and a lot of programs, but never worked in a space. Again, that's a difference, I think. It's lovely that there are these guys, oftentimes there are guys out there, right, who are just willing to give you a chance and that are so, so, so supportive in that regard. Yeah, I cannot really, I cannot say enough about that company that I joined, again, a great example of people in a Web3 space who are just open, mm-hmm. flexible, willing to give women or any type of person a tr- chance. Really admire that. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, I can't believe that we are almost at time. I, I could honestly speak to you for another hour on top of this. I feel like we're just scratching the surface. Before I let you go, can you tell our listeners what to expect for Thrilled Labs? What's the next step? What can we look out for? Oh, yes, of course. I will go in sales mode again (laughs) instead of the academic mode. No, yes, of course. So I think that it's (laughs) Potentially interesting to share that in a couple of weeks' time, in the beginning of September, we will launch our free and open access app. So you can find it in the App Store, in the Google Play Store, and anyone who is either building in Web3, funder of Web3, or contributing to Web3, they can download it, have a look. Again, we're not functioning as an intermediary. We don't take any cuts. We're free and open access. And you can just create a small profile. Think a bit about it as Tinder, but then instead of love, we want to create Web3 synergies, I like to say here. And uh, yeah, we already have a lovely waitlist open. So anyone who is listening and thinks, ah, this could be potentially something for me uh, in terms of streamlining my business, my business efforts, whether it is you're looking for a new job or whether it is because you're looking for a partnership or perhaps you're looking for funding or perhaps you're looking to fund a specific vertical or a specific type of company, right? Just check us out. There is something, I guess, for everyone in that regard. I really hope that we become the yeah, fair and 
streamlined solution for any type of business interaction in the space. And I would really welcome anyone really in that regard. Please check us out. And if you think it can work for you, I would be very glad to see you there. Thrilled, in fact. There you go. How exciting. This is exactly what is needed in space. So we are super excited for the launch and confident that you'll have a lot of people that will be taking you up on your offer, Alex, to, to join the platform and excited to have you on the show again in another six months. And you can update us around how the launch is going and, and how your community is growing. So for anyone who wants to follow your journey and hear more from you, if they can't get enough, what platforms can they find you on? Well, if people want that, I think it's best if they try to reach out on LinkedIn. I would say that's the most streamlined option. Or of course, in about four weeks or so on Thrilled itself, you'll be able to contact me there directly if you want to talk Synergy, since we are the Synergy machine for Web3, hopefully soon. But yes, you don't have to follow me. Just drop me a message or if you want advice or I know if I always can advise you, but always really happy to help. So just reach out and then we talk together and see what we can make happen. Brilliant. A bonus point, I think if people do find you on LinkedIn is the links to some of the superb articles that you've written, which I know mm. I personally have, have really enjoyed reading. Thank you so much for saying that. That's very kind of you. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. That is us wrapping. So we'll make sure to drop Alex's contact information and channels in the show notes. But for our listeners, we look forward to welcoming you next week to another episode of Web3 Disruptors. But for now, thank you and goodbye. Thank you so much. Speak soon. 